Fintech is a term used to describe technologies used to deliver financial services. The term was first used in the early 1970s, long before the advent of Bitcoin and companies like Robinhood. But long-term fintech providers like Simcor and NCR have been selling to financial institutions that have a reputation of being very conservative when it comes to adopting new technologies. That is all rapidly changing. This change is forcing fintech companies to change their business models and lean into the as-a-service world. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, uh, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And in this episode, we will be discussing how a fintech company founded in 1971 is now navigating the as-a-service transformation. Joining me today will be Ronan Donnelly, Vice President of Everything as a Service at Simcor. And for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute. We track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet. More importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. It is that data that informs the insights you will hear in this series. So let's get right into it. Ronan, welcome. And first of all, can you please describe Simcor for our listeners, for those folks not familiar with this company that has been around since 1971? Uh, what's the size of the company and, and what are some of the core offers? Thank you, Thomas. It's great to be here. Uh, I'd be happy to walk you through what, what Simcorp isn't does. So uh, as you mentioned, Simcorp was founded in 1971 in Copenhagen, where it is uh, headquartered and listed today. And since then, we've worked closely with investment and asset managers to become the world's leading provider of integrated investment management solutions. We consider ourselves to be a technology-enabled services company, and we serve over 300 of the world's leading buy-side firms uh, globally from our network of 20 offices. But to, to put it kind of simply, we used to be a software company with the service offerings required to support that, and now we're turning that upside down. Which is, which is classic in the industry. And so, and so tell us about your role specifically within Simcor. Yeah, I work within the uh, SaaS delivery organization, which is intended to be the delivery engine for everything that we offer as a service. There, there's also a little bit of services innovation embedded within that. And my role within that is to build out the commercial uh, infrastructure by which we price our service offerings, uh, in, engage within the sales process and off, offer them to customers and also uh, after a contract signature to manage the ongoing commercials the contracts the obligations so it's really you can think of it as the uh, the business operating framework for our SaaS delivery organization for everything as a service fantastic so you should, you're the right person to be on this podcast here because what we've been doing at TSI is you know we've been studying how traditional tech companies like Simcord navigate that journey, right? From, from being a traditional technology software company to now growing as a service revenue streams. And, and I would like to ask you a series of questions about the biggest friction points that we see in that journey. Are you good with that? Absolutely, let's do it. All right, fantastic. So, so question number one, what were the catalysts that convinced the executive leadership at Simcor that they needed to get on this as a service train, that they needed to flip that business model around as you described? 
Yeah, so it, it's pretty straightforward. We are a very customer-centric company. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got a, a network of 20 global offices. The intent of that is to be very close to our customers, and we uh, we engage with them uh, continuously. Uh, and that, that's very important for us because we offer mission-critical enterprise-scale uh, trading and risk software. So what we understood from our customers is that they were their their biggest concerns were really about increasing automation and operational efficiency and they were also indicating that they cared about receiving outcomes as being more important than owning and operating technology themselves mm -hmm. yep. so so what became clear to us is that the as a service model is really the perfect perfect alignment of incentives since the vendors incentivized from a margin perspective to drive automation efficiency and the customer will then benefit from that. And so yeah, what's interesting is that as I listen to you, so uh, as I play it back, it, it was a customer-led journey, right? The customers were saying, look, these, this is how we want to work with our technology provider, uh, focused on the outcome, more as a service, et cetera. And, and we see that general trend in market after market. But often what I observe is that executive teams will resist that because it is very disruptive, as you know, to the business model, right? It's not the way you traditionally yep. made money. So was there anything that helped the executive team sort of get over that that hump right there to say, okay, we know this is a different financial model, but we still need to, to pursue it. Was there any sort of winning argument there? Yeah, it, it's a really good point, and, uh, and, uh, and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But w one of the biggest challenges to doing any change is when you're already successful. Yes. Yeah. And and that, that, that creates a barrier to taking on this large-scale, difficult, transformational journey. Um, but what you, what you realize then, and even by studying wider business history, you see what happens with the, the Nokias and, and Blackberries, is that, that at some point you realize that if you don't change, then you might not have a future. So it's that trade-off between taking on the risk and effort and, and in some sometimes pain of change in order to secure a future and realize that that market opportunity so yes the mar the market was flashing us a signal that if you do this it's in line with what we want and we will buy more and the the benefit to us is is that we get to do more than we did with the traditional model where you you ship your software and uh, and offer some support mm -hmm. so we had the opportunity to move up the value chain so we we get to capture more revenue but then you also benefit from essentially eating your own cooking, right? If you're operating the platform to deliver the business outcomes. So so that was viewed as something that would make us better yeah. by yeah. being involved in more of the of the value chain. Yeah, and, and and honestly, you know, we really believe in that journey that you're on. We think that's the right journey for a technology provider. And I'll just make two quick comments. Number one, because it's very important what you said, you know, it, it's really tough to go through transformation when you've been successful. And this is not unique to SimCore, but you know, the software business models, you know, even enterprise hardware business models, some of the most profitable business models in the history of business models. So it's hard to want to move off of that. But the other point that you made is, you know, you, you guys had to wrestle with alternatives. And I and I love, you know, uh, the CEO of Delta. I heard him interviewed once, and, and he said, "Look, if you're not growing as a company, you are in slow motion liquidation." And there are a lot of tech companies right now that are very profitable, have been historically very successful, but quite frankly, they're in slow motion liquidation because they're not leaning into this transformation. I mean, I think, you know, we, we feel it's non-negotiable. So I think you guys are on the right 
path, but let, let's keep going down the questions here. So question number two, once the executive team decided, hey, we do need to lean into this transformation and we're going to pursue this new business model, how did they source the leadership roles for that initiative? Yeah, so Simcorps has been a remarkably stable company and you know some of the reasons for that is because it takes a very long-term strategic planning horizon which is uh, hasn't been the case in other companies that I've worked for. It's been a little bit more short-term mm -hmm. in-quarter efficiencies, less appetite for innovation because you need kind of in-quarter returns. So Simcorp's uh, has been unique from my perspective in having that longer-term strategic Can planning. Can you define horizon. long term? Is is that three years, five years? How, what what is that? Uh, f generally, uh, five years. Okay, plus. that is long term in tech for sure. Yeah, and uh, you know we we continually uh, measure progress against that five-year uh, planning horizon. So that that does it plays into the the theme of being able to have the appetite to take on this strategic change journey that if you don't have a longer-term plan horizon, you're never going to do this. Mm -hmm. And guess what? If you don't do it, then you're going to be in that mode of just looking for cost efficiency. Those companies that you described as being in um, longer-term uh, decline. So, and, and you know, part of ha being able to have a long-term planning horizon is that we've, we've consistently grown year over year. And as a result of that, we've got uh, many leaders who've been there for a long time and they've got a really deep understanding of the company, our culture and our customers. We also recognize though that in order to change and do something new, we'd have to bring in some new talent. Mm -hmm. and we've done this across uh, several key functions. So we're, we're trying to kind of recognize that, that we have a continuation of what made us successful and a recognition that in order to change, you're probably going to need some some new perspectives as well. And the new talent is specifically there. Did you did you look for folks that had experiences with as a service business models? Was that the type of talent you were you were looking for? What was the profile of, of what you recruited from the outside? A, a combination of things. So yes, one has been people who've got more experience with as a service type businesses, um, and another profile has been, you know, as we're moving up the the value chain from you know platform services all the way to business process as a service, we have to hire the people who can perform the business processes, for example. Mm -hmm. And in the past, th those are not uh, profiles that, that we typically uh, had within our team. Yep, so different skill sets there. Yeah, so as, as you're moving more into the run and operate space, you need people who have run and operate those yep. type of businesses. Yep. So different profiles there. So you had to augment you know, the current... Uh, capability. So, 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 you, yeah. so you had to, you know, you had a mix of, of folks that know SimCore well, with some new talent, uh, with new capabilities on where you were going, and then the, the question number three is organizational structure. What changes did the company have to make to support the new as a service business model? So, some of this started before my time, but but two of the largest changes, uh, and in conjunction with the TSIA input have been the implementation of a customer engagement model that, that was anchored within our customer experience function. Mm -hmm. And then the, the organization that I'm part of is the, the establishment of the SaaS delivery organization. In the past, our delivery was more uh, tied to professional services, yep. which is kind of ad hoc project type services. And then recognizing that this, this new delivery organization needed to be a little bit more about run, how to create scale, how to be efficient, all of those things. 
So those were two of the two of the, the main changes. Um, we also uh, created an offer management function. Um, so it's really focusing on, on what a complete offer is, not just the product management of uh, software, yeah. but it's all of the things that are required to deliver the customer outcome. So the, the software, the service offering, the, the, the platform, et cetera. So let's just talk about those two quickly because, uh, again, I think both of those are winning moves from what we see across lots of companies. And, and the first one around you know dedicated delivery for the new as-a-service model, I think one of the mistakes companies make is, is they're standing up these new as-a-service offers. They say, look, our current you know service teams will just take care of that, whether it's support, yeah. professional services. And to your point, you, you know those legacy organizations have different priorities they're optimized for different you know for the transactional model and so exactly. really you know saying look we're going to have dedicated resources that are all about the new engagement model like you said it's run it's operate it's ongoing um, I, I think that's important because if you don't do that if you're not willing to make that investment um, it really does hamper your ability to grow the as a service revenues and then the other thing you put on the table is around offer definition and and we are a big believer in creating a portfolio team that is thinking about the complete offer, to your point. They're not, you know, because if you look at tech companies, typically there are people defining the product. Then there are people who say, well, here I'm defining the support offers. I'm defining the professional service offers. You know, they're all in there, you know, focused on their distinct offer. And when you get into this as a service relationship and you're in the run and operate, that doesn't matter. <laughs> the customer cares about the complete offer. That's what counts. And so somebody's got to be having that complete thought. So definitely. Exactly. Winning. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, it, it can be a mental shortcut to think that I'm just going to take what I have today and relabel it. Right. Uh, and, and actually, you, you'll discover over time that you, you actually need to kind of start from basic principles. What are the KPIs that th these groups need to operate against? What are the investments required in order to make this operate at scale? Do you have a, a data and automation strategy, for example? So, so it's 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 re really important to uh, you know th these are some of the things that cost time on this transformation. Yes, is that you think that just because you have people who understand broadly the subject area today, that they can immediately switch to going from kind of being change people to run people, and and it really is a different approach. Yeah, it, it is. And I don't see this as much today, but I can tell you five, six, seven years ago, how many tech companies said, oh, yeah, you know, we now have a customer success organization. And I said, oh, really? And what they did is they simply took their support organization and put a new name on it. <laughs> Instead of, yeah. we're no longer support, we're customer success. Well, that's not <laughs> really the thought here, right? That's not really establishing customer success. That's exactly. a name, you know, that's a naming issue. And, and again, it's different capabilities. So, um, so, so structurally, I think some really good moves there. Uh, question number four I have for you is as the company started to invest in as a service offers, what were some of the key capability gaps that you focused on closing down first? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So uh, as a traditional software company whereby we sold software licenses and the services required to implement them, we recognized that one core capability gap was to more fully understand the, the outcomes that customers had identified as, as needing. Um, and it also became clear that to deliver at scale, we'd need to develop standards. So that led from a migration from product management to, to what I described as offer management. Mm -hmm. 
And that's an approach that really results in a clearly defined business outcome for clients. And that's the integrated package of software, standard platform services, delivered in a way that makes it simple and easy for clients to consume. So almost starting with the end in mind and working backwards. So th those were the, the two key capability gaps, really getting an in-depth understanding of our customers mm -hmm. and really shifting our approach to defining uh, what needs to be in place to create an outcome. You know, I think what's important when people are going through this journey is there are going to be capability gaps and sometimes it can be overwhelming, right? Because there's lots and lots of capability gaps. So you have to prioritize. And, and what I'm hearing here is you prioritized on job number one, we have to understand what the customer's trying to achieve and work backwards from that. So, so that's where we're going to yeah. start and, and close that gap down and go from there. So um, that's helpful. And, and I, I want to you know, stay on this, this, this uh, topic of investing. And, and question number five is, is around funding. And when you think about funding a business model uh, transformation, you know, there's a couple levers that you, you can pull, right? I mean, you can, you can reduce profitability in the short term and just you know, put the incremental investment in. Um, you can squeeze more profitability from your legacy offers, um, or you can divert resources from the legacy offers, right? And, and say, look, I'm gonna pick those resources up and repurpose those into, these, into the new offers, right? Into the new business model. And I'm curious, you know, what levers did you pull? Was it a mix of the levers? Was there any lever you found to be, you know, more important than others? How, how did you fund the transformation? Yeah, so, so th this question is really in line with, uh, you know, some of the things that we've gone through before, recognizing that this is a change, this is a journey, and it's not going to happen by using what you have today and just hoping that, that it's all going to work differently. Mm -hmm. So absolutely investment is required. Um. And, and maybe what I could say is that going through the belly of the fish, as the TSI describe <laughs> it, it's not right. to be underestimated. Yeah. In fact, our, our CEO at the time of the uh, the start of this journey made the comment that, that the fish better be an eel. Man, if I had a dollar for every time I heard a CEO or CFO say that, <laughs> I could retire today. I'd be done. <laughs> Yeah. So, so we, we understand your wishes, but yeah. maybe we need to, <laughs> to redefine that. Yeah. So one benefit that we have is that we, uh, we mandate that 20% of our revenue gets funneled back into R&D. Mm -hmm. And that tied with the long-term strategic planning horizon, just give us the ability to prioritize this key strategic journey yep. via that long-term planning process. Uh, but but it has been a huge investment and 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 that's necessary because if you want to stay relevant this is probably what what you need to do yeah. um you know we also have there's some some other factors uh at play in that as some of the legacy offerings that that we have mature uh you know there's an expectation that margin increases as as those mature yeah. so that that can somehow contribute to to funding but yeah it's um you know, it, it doesn't happen without allocating the right capabilities, the right resources, having a, a realistic plan. And yes, you do need to make, make sacrifices about either uh, reducing profitability in the short term or, or squeezing more of legacy offers. Yeah, and you know, there's two things that you, you said there, and I, and I really do want to emphasize these to the audience um, because they're tough messages that, you know, again, I spend a lot of time with executive teams on this and they, they don't like these answers, but, but number one is 
there is a financial fish that you have to figure out how to fund, right? This is not neutral. And so you've got to lean into that. And then number two, you know, one of the ways you lean into that is that you you talk about this 20% of revenues coming back for investment is those come back. The natural tendency is to reinvest them in the legacy because that's typically where a lot of the energy is. That's typically where a lot of the power is. And so they're like, hey, I used to always get this 20% back into my, you know, these legacy offers to make them better. And you have to basically divert that spigot. And, and that's hard. That's hard for companies, you know, politically and, 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 and culturally. But you've got, you've got, again, you've got to lean into that. And so there's some, there's some tough, you know, medicine here as you're going th- through this, but but I it's unavoidable. I mean, there is no magic pixie dust. I've seen the companies say, yeah, there is no financial fish, and you know, we just you know we just stood up all this new stuff, and you know, it was painless. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Um, so I think you know you, you're a, you're a testimonial to that to that reality. Um, so so let me keep moving here. Question number six. Um, so so how did you decide where to focus first? With your with your as a service offers in terms of either markets or customer types, right? Were there certain customers that you looked at and said, "Hey, I think these are the ones that are going to be most receptive." How did you go through that process? Yeah, it's uh, it's an important point because uh, when you think of as a service, you know your your mind could explode with all of the things that you could offer right. as a service, and uh, and and really, in order to make the business model work, you've got to you you've got to probably zero in and narrow your focus on some things that you can start to do that will deliver that value to customers and and bring a, a rev- revenue at margin into the in, into your into your company and uh, so so this has been a key focus of our offer management organization uh, in close collaboration with the customer facing teams sales and customer experience and we we took the approach of identifying uh, where we can add the most value and that really tied into the key customer drivers of the desire for outcome consumption, automation, efficiency, and so for us, one of the uh, one of the key services that we identified was investment accounting as a service, mm-hmm. and it was a good example of that approach. It, it makes so much more sense for us to deliver something that is somewhat standardized in investment accounting, but by doing it at scale, leveraging our technology, that was uh, that that had a, an inbuilt value prop versus each of our customers building up their own teams and technology stack. So, so that has been one really um, uh, successful starting point for us. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say starting point. It's been one really successful focus area. Yeah. And so, you know, it's important to prioritize, like you're saying, there, there's so many opportunities you could start to pursue when you, when you open up the potential of, of having as a service, you know, relationships with customers. So you have to prioritize that. And then, again, I'm, I'm curious on customer type. Were there any profiles you were looking for? You know, were all customers is equally, you know, the right profile for these new offers? Or did you prioritize and say, hey, we're really looking for customers that have certain attributes or, or a certain relationship with us to test these new these new types of offers? How did, how did you how did you prioritize there? It, to start with, what, what we observed uh, was that there was more of an appetite from smaller customers mm-hmm. who were, for example, it didn't make sense for them to build out their own technology infrastructure. So, so they home more hosting receptive. or platform services yeah. um, were were uh, were valuable. But then, you know, as your offers expand and as the journey matures, then some of the bigger customers, for example, who uh, often can be more efficiency focused, 
have uh, will will come to you with um, expressing needs for 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 services that we we might offer, mm-hmm. and so it's 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 uh, a question of achieve scale in the way that you can, and that typically means you'll start with some of the smaller customers because mm-hmm. that's a, a very clear value prop. It's much more efficient for the vendor to do that for many small firms versus it doing it themselves. And by achieving that scale, then you'll get into the game whereby bigger customers might uh, consider handing over much larger uh, pieces of work to you. And I think that that's a, an important observation for, for the audience because one of the things, again, that we see when people start to create new as a service offers, uh, sometimes they will not prioritize you know, the market in terms of uh, where they should go first. To, to build, you know, the skills, right? To build the battle scars on it. And, and so what you said there, starting with customers that were smaller, probably less complex, which is good. Um, yeah. Prove out the offer, prove your ability to deliver it, and then you can work your way up to some of the larger customers. That's definitely, you know, I, I think one way to, to go after it. But I, I think a sense of priority on, on what customers make sense first is, is, is an important tactic here. Uh, so that you don't, um, again, sometimes step into it where, where you're in over your head, right? You, you've got a brand new offer and you're in with yeah. a big complex customer and you're saying, you yeah. know, what what do we do to ourselves here? Yeah, it's go- going back to that point of focus, really focusing in on, on where you can create a, a, a clear and unique value prop in the service that you offer mm-hmm. and then zeroing in on your target market so that you can achieve success, momentum, and start growing scale. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, so I'm curious, uh, as these as-a-service revenues have been growing, my question number seven here is, is what metrics are most important to the executive team as it relates to the new business? What, are they, what do they focus on? It's pretty straightforward, growth in ARR. Yeah. So yeah. We're, 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 we're very focused on tracking growth in ARR. That's a, a, a valuable financial metric for us. And uh, you know, coming back to some of the, the points that we've discussed previously, it's the recognition that as you're building something new, it's probably not going to be high margin on day one. Mm-hmm. And so that, that all builds into kind of planning that journey, recognizing the investment, recognizing how the financial metrics will develop over a prescribed timeline. But getting getting growth in ARR is a bigger challenge than achieving margin on that ARR. You, yeah. you can probably do, do do that very quickly. So so I, I think that's the right one to focus on. It's also a good way to measure the success of uh, of, of the offers that you've decided to focus on and, and where your efforts are. Yeah, and for those listeners, if they're not familiar with ARR, annual recurring revenue, so you're getting these customers into these uh, you know annual multi-year service contracts, that's your annual recurring revenue, and you want to see those contracts grow and grow. And, um, and that is, you know, what is, is critical in the short term. And one of the self-inflicted wounds we see is that uh, executive teams will still be very focused on either gross margin or EBITDA, right? You know, profitability of, of the business line. And, they'll, and, the, and I've heard these conversations, the conversation will be, well, well hey, these new as-a-service revenues, gosh, they're just not as profitable as the old ones you know why do we want to do this and 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 that's not the point in the short term it can't be because if you if you focus on that then you'll you'll never grow those revenues (laughs) because they're not going to be as profitable as the old revenues and if anybody wants to see this you know play out in a very public way go look at microsoft's financial data um, over the past you know eight years and we've done case studies on this 
and you will see this reality that you know their their legacy offers were 72 76% gross margin when they started in the as a service offers and they started breaking them out in the financials they were like 34 points of gross margin huge haircut but but obviously that they knew that was the future right and so the, the, what did they focus on to your point ARR <laughs> growing that ARR i mean that's what you have to really uh, that's how you define success so that's good yep yep that's helpful the um so the next question I have, question number eight. Nobody goes through this transformation flawlessly. I don't care, you know, how awesome the executive team is. Um, there's always, you know, bumps and, and grinds along the way. I was just uh, uh, prepping one of our members who's going to do a presentation at the upcoming conference in Orlando on their as a service transformation, and you know, he he said, yeah, it was a highly iterative and agile model. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to, you know, <laughs> you try something, it doesn't work. You got to be, you know, ready, ready to adjust. And so I, I'm just curious, what, what were some of the, you know, the bumps you remember that you've, or you've seen along the way here? Yeah, it, it's a huge change from a mindset perspective, from an internal organization perspective, and from a knowing your, your desired customer outcomes perspectives. And all or any of those can be underestimated. We, we've talked uh, about, about some of those earlier on in the mm -hmm. podcast. But I think for, for us, the biggest one was that y you can be a victim of past success. And if things are working well today, you might not feel so much of that urgency to change. No, no burning platform. So I, yeah, so, yeah, so exactly. There's no burning platform. And okay, all of this SaaS stuff sounds cool, but but, but what, what is really the problem? And, and so, so I think that one of the road bumps for us has been to, uh, to recognize the need to really accelerate the journey uh, and recognize that not everyone understands it as uh, mission critical and it has to happen tomorrow. So, so I think that that was something for us to be aware of that, that if things are working well today and you're going on this journey, you're probably gonna experience uh, a lack of urgency in doing that. Yeah, and in manufacturing, that sense of urgency, I think, is so important because, uh, you know, to your to your point, right, if there's no burning platform, human physics, you know, people basically say, look, you know, we're still paying the bills, you know, we're still profitable. Uh, this SaaS thing, you know, JB and I, JB Wood and I refer to this as the manana strategy. You know, we'll worry about that manana, right? <laughs> yeah. And the problem, and, and, and we're teasing it out in this in this podcast, is if you wait too long, then there's not enough runway because this is not a you know a three-quarter journey. This is a multi-year journey you're embarking on. And if you wait and wait and wait, and then your markets are already tipping, your competitors have already you know established some of these capabilities, then you are really behind the power curve. And we've seen this. We've seen this happen, right? And so it, that's why we you know we tell so many companies this cannot be a Nyana strategy. You can't wait until the platform is ablaze. You've got to create you know, a sense of urgency before that happens so that you have enough runway to, to really establish these new capabilities in the new business model. So it's, yep. um, yeah, so I can definitely see that being one of the bumps. And then the, the, the last question I have for you today here, number nine, is as you have watched this transformation unfold, I'm just curious, you know, what surprised you the most about the journey? Just, you know, where you're like, wow, I, you know, I, that, that I didn't see coming. Any, any interesting surprises? Well, this one's easy. The, the biggest surprise to me was why we didn't start sooner. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it, it, that's it makes, fascinating. It makes, 
yeah, yeah. it makes so much sense. Yeah. And it's been great to really understand our customers' perspectives more yeah. deeply. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so yeah, start, start sooner rather than later. Yeah. But, you know, uh, other things that have been surprising uh, was, or other things that have been surprising have been how open some people are to change. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Also, how much resistance can exist and, and sometimes for, for good reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important that as, as you're undertaking this journey, create, create, uh, narrow, narrow your focus on, on what you're going to do and think about. Really look for quick wins, celebrate incremental successes as you go along in the journey because it's a huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. It happens over a long time horizon. You know, the, the outcome's not, not always certain. So really, you know, create focus, look for quick wins and celebrate along the way. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you made this comment about, you know, su surprisingly, some people are really receptive to change and they lean into it because, uh, you know, I know I spend a lot of my time in my writing and my speaking trying to help uh, management teams that where I know that there is resistance to your point, right? There, you know, people are entrenched in the, in the traditional model. That is, you know, human physics. Typically, we don't like change, but, but you know, people will surprise you. Right. They, they can, yeah. you know, number one and number two, you know, and I think this is very important in today's tight labor market. Right. I mean, we're all in a talent war. And if you hope to attract and retain the next generation of technology professionals, how many of them are going to, you know, it'd be like trying to recruit my, my son who's a programmer and say, hey, look, we got this great COBOL mainframe business, man. You're going to love it. You know, that's right. I mean, nobody wants to work on that. Yeah, I mean, and, exactly. and that is, you know, and I think some tech companies don't realize that, again, because they've been very successful. They've got beautiful corporate headquarters. They made a lot of money and they're trying to recruit this talent and they're looking at their business model and saying, hey, man, that's so, you know, 1980s. And, and they don't want to be part of that. And so I think, you know, that's another thing about getting empl employees enthuse, you know, enthusiastic uh, about what's going on is, you know, they want to be part of this next generation of tech business models for sure. Exactly. If you're not changing and growing, then you're dying. Yeah, absolutely. It's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ronan, I, I really appreciate your your intellectually honest uh, perspectives on you know this transformation. I, I think uh, you know it validates a lot of, of of what we see, but I think it's so important for our listeners to hear these real world stories like Simcor that are going through this because you know, the, everything we're talking about, the, the, these are real challenges and real issues that you have to, you have to work through if, you, if you're going to be successful, you know, in this transformation. Um, and uh, so, so again, I think this is really important for people to hear right, you know, from a practitioner what it's all about. So thank, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you, Thomas. It's been great talking with you, and uh, and thanks for the great work that you do. Yeah, no, we, we appreciate it. And, and this episode here, I believe, will, will um, drop after uh, St. Patrick's Day. But I think everybody should know that I really do. I'm I'm <laughs> digging your green microphone in honor of St. Patrick's Day. And and when next time you and I talk, maybe it'll be in Orlando. We can talk about how we spent this past St. Patrick's Day, and we'll catch up there. <laughs> So that'd be good. Fantastic. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. So as always, you know, I like to end uh, these episodes with the big question of the day. And, and do you have experiences that would enable you to answer the nine questions posed today? If the answer is yes, consider yourself a highly marketable professional in the technology industry. Thank you for listening. Cheers. <laughs>